Uh, my name is Kelsey. I'm a covenant member here at SOMA. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, um, and it's on page 811 in the Black Bibles that are on the seats. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your feet that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is, in, who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Good morning. Um, my name is Kent. I'm one of the pastors here who is excited to talk about fasting. Because most people aren't, and maybe somebody might criticize us and be like, you know, the preaching calendar could have been a little bit better aligned with this being in Lent and not the week after Easter. Fair critique. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would give us hearts to engage something that is completely foreign to our culture, if we're honest, and completely foreign to, I'm guessing, the majority of our lives. Whether that be the majority of people in here or the majority of the life of any one individual in here. But Lord, I, I find myself really stirred up and really excited to talk about fasting today. Because I think as you've continued to prepare this in the hearts and minds of our pastors and our church, Lord, you have given us a real invitation into where we might step into as a body in this way of engaging you. Because ultimately, Lord, I pray that what might be most clearly made known is not the technicalities or getting stuck in on the fundamentals of a practice, but we might see fasting for what it truly is, and that is a gift and a doorway into your presence and power. And Lord, I'm stirred up not just as the larger Soma Church as we are a family of neighborhood churches, but I'm stirred up for this congregation because I just feel like this hits us where we need, not in a way that, that knocks us over, but in a way that invites us into something that could be what people have been looking for, but looking in all the wrong places. So Lord, I pray for your spirit to do what you will with this time, and we're really looking forward to see what that is. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you play uh, bingo with the sermons that are preached here by like common phrases that are used, you actually can make a fairly strong, what somebody has called a Soma Lingo bingo card. And um, you would be getting three in a row for just sermons preached of me using this phrase. Now, this isn't a phrase that we use all the time. It's just a phrase that for whatever reason keeps coming up in my mind as I'm sitting there writing the sermon on Friday. And sometimes not until this moment, but either way, it keeps coming up. And so you've heard this if you've been here the last two weeks or listened to sermons the last two weeks. It is this phrase, as a culture, as I assess our cultural moment, as not just me, I think I stand on the shoulders of a lot of sociologists and, and cultural analysis, that would say we have done everything we could do to pursue hard after the self-fulfillment milieu or the idea that everything is at the expense of a individual seeking personal fulfillment. But the crazy ironic twist at the bottom of that search for us has been 
that we are completely unfulfilled by exclusively seeking fulfillment. And that has to, on some level, I think what's why, I mean, not the only reason, but there's lots of reasons, but I think that's why you see frustration and anger and outrage raising at, at, at crazy levels, and, and you see just this tug and pull of culture of people like just being like, there's got to be something deeper or more powerful, and it's because the one thing that was going to give us all the depth and power is leaving us really wanting. And so, yeah, we pursue food or sexuality or career relationships and those in and of themselves all really good things and we'll get back to that in a second but have not given us the one thing that we want and that is a true long-lasting powerful fulfillment so eventually i i'm just wondering when are we as a culture going to start being like maybe something maybe maybe the method is broken if it's not giving the desired result and then I read the Bible and I, I hit these points, particularly in the Psalms, that just like hit me in between the eyeballs <laughs> and, uh, you know, daze me for a little bit because, well, let me read them to you. I don't have these on the screen. Just listen. This is from Psalm 4, verse 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Or Psalm 63, we actually read a part of this one. This one's a bit longer. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I mean, this just like knocked me back because if I'm honest, not my experience. And you want to be like, okay, well, that's the Bible. Like you're supposed to say that in the Bible. But then you get like, early church fathers or, or even those who have sought exclusively God through, through maybe the monastic lifestyle. And there's a quote, I can't quote the monk or even the exact, this is going to be a bit of a paraphrasal, but it's fairly accurate. I, at least I know the keywords were because they really stuck in my brain. He once was quoted as saying, I have had such delicious thoughts about the Lord, I'm embarrassed to admit them, which I don't have a category for, and multiple levels. And it's because... It's not my experience. But it's the experience of the psalmist. It's the experience of David. It's the experience of, of these men that have pursued God on a level that they pursue fulfillment from eating. Because that's kind of what's being said. If you like break down all the in-between-the-lines uh, of what is the statement being made in the poetic flowery language? And there's a lot. I mean, I hate to always reduce poetic flowery language down to one statement because that's kind of the opposite point of poetic language. It's meant to be multifaceted. But if I were to break out at least one very strong point, it's that there is a fulfillment that one derives from food, from relationship, from career, from achievement, from sex. That experiencing the nearness of the power and, and presence of God. 
puts to shame. And I compare that with the few times in my life that I have fasted from food. And I'm guessing maybe some of you have, like, I don't know, grew up in church and you were part of a youth group that did one of those like 40-hour fasts where you all fasted and raised money and, and, and then broke the fast together at like a CC's pizza or something like that. And you had that experience or maybe you're someone here like, no, I, like, I just became a Christian. I saw people fasting. I thought, I want to do that. And so you pressed in and you tried it. And like me, your experience was like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. And why is it not working? Why am I not experiencing? I'm sitting there being like, God, I want to pray the same as Psalm 4, 7. I want you, you to abound joyfulness in my life more than when grain and wine abound for others. But I feel like I'm far from that. And so then I start like breaking it down like, okay, am I doing it wrong? Or even worse, am I just not someone who can access that? Do I not have the spiritual ability and clout and connection to God? Or has God just like shown to be wanting as well? Which are scary questions to begin asking, particularly when hungry. There is a way to fast incorrectly. In fact, this passage, if we were just to do a sermon strictly on this passage, and if you've closed your Bibles to 811, uh, open them back up, and, and we can do just that. We can be like, okay, what is this saying about the wrong way to fast? And you read it right in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. What's interesting first is that Jesus assumes that you will fast. He just assumes that's a known reality. And because the Jews fast twice a week every week, it was a safe assumption to be making. And so Jesus, assuming that they would, hey, this is just a regular warp and wolf to your life. But don't do it in such a way that you are disfiguring your appearance. You are making yourself unrecognizable in order to be recognized. Like, I don't know what disfiguring would have looked like. I don't know if it was like, my guess is it was like kind of like subtly biting the cheeks a little bit to look a little bit more gaunt and kind of like Tori Spelling, which is a reference that most of you are not old enough to catch. But either way, if that was what was going on here or... If it was more of a sense of, of, like, he's just, like, saying later, like, hey, take a shower, like, put oil in your hair, uh, just basic hygiene, which is a word from the Lord for some of us, and just continue to live and practice a way that, that you don't show up on a day that you're fasting looking like you're fasting. And maybe that's for you. Maybe you're, like, a person where you just, like, have fasted and like somebody was just like holy cow it looks like you haven't eaten seven days yeah nine actually um if you count the weekends which i don't because that's just an assumed fast for me but either way um yeah no it's it's i I mean god's sustaining me i mean this is actually a little bit harder than when i did it for 30 days because i don't know i it shouldn't be but i feel like i'm just experiencing some level of spiritual attack right now so i didn't want you to know but since you do you could add supplication for me and my fast right now and like, you you didn't want me to know you're wearing a burlap sack what what went wrong <laughs> and so if that's you then then yes maybe if you have fasted and you do fast or you practice a fast a simple correction might be like okay examining 
do I do this in a way to be seen by others versus being seen by the Father who sees in secret and rewards you for seeking him? And so maybe that might look like you just looking ahead in your schedule. If you are going to fast on a day, you're going to say, okay, I'm going to, I always have lunch at work on that day. I'm just going to like let my coworkers know maybe the day before, hey, won't be able to have lunch tomorrow. Got other plans. Or if I run with someone and I decide maybe not the best thing to run seven miles on a day I'm taking zero calories, then I just let them know like, hey, again, uh, other plans for me. Or if I have a lunch meeting and it's a day I fast, I just get there and I sit down and be like, hey, food's taking care of me today. Um, and I'm really interested to just dive into what we have to talk about right now. And if they do the next level of asking why, are you not coming to lunch, running, or eating right now? You can do one of two things. You can, if you really sense for your own soul, hey, this is all about me receiving their attention. I knew they were going to ask why, and I was wanting to be like, I'm fasting. And, uh, and now you know, and you can pray for me because it's hard. And if that's you, then yeah, maybe you need to think through the why question, or you need to do it on a different day where you're not going to bump into that. But maybe you should examine that the reason you don't want to ask why or answer why has nothing to do with you receiving some accolade for being really spiritual and fasting. It's because you don't want to be spiritually weird and say, I'm fasting. It might not have nothing about you not wanting to be uh, admired in people's eyes. It's because you don't want to be ostracized in people's eyes. When Jesus is not saying, hey, fast in a way that no one knows. He assumes that you'll fast, and he assumes that it will happen in community. I mean, the entire Jewish and Christian community, by the way, the early church still fasted twice a week. They just moved the days to Wednesday and Friday. And when they fasted, they did it in community. I actually think it's the most healthy way to fast is to do it in community, as well as even if you do fast, you live in a community of people. Like, you either have a spouse or roommates or just people that generally might feel like you're taking in a little bit less than you normally do, Carl. And, like, if you do, even if you'd be like, well, I'm just going to disappear on the days I fast, then eventually they're going to be like, they seem to disappear every day that they're fasting. So they're going to see that you're fasting, and that's okay. Jesus says, don't fast in a way that no one knows. Just don't fast in a way to be known. So maybe your answer to that question is just, yeah, I'm, I'm fasting when they ask why. And they say, okay, uh, they do two things. One is they, they ask why are you fasting? To which you just have an opportunity to be like, I'm trying to believe right now that the presence of God might fulfill me more even than food right, will right in this moment. Or I'm, I really want this, this prayer before God. I, I just want to bring this before him and I, I just want to weaken my spirit, uh, weak my flesh a little bit and strengthen my spirit as I come before him. And I'm really wanting this to, to be made known I'm not trying to manipulate him to, to get him to answer me by doing a, a hunger strike. But there's something about that God has come and said, hey, hey, come into me with a weakened flesh. Or they won't ask. And they'll just assume you're doing a really religious, weird, zealot activity. And here's the key to this. Check this. If they ask why, if you say that, that day don't be weird. Like, not like intentionally try not to be weird because that doesn't go well. But like, don't like every, t like when you like see them and they have like, you know, a, a cup of coffee or food in their hand, just like look at it and lick your lips weirdly. Or, or just 
if you do sit down for the hour with them for lunch and you don't eat and they know that you're fasting and they think, man, they're doing something really weird and they're not going to ask you about it, just talk to them like you would. And then they'll process later. Hey, they did something that I associate with really weird people and they, they weren't weird at all. It's as simple as that. Don't continue to try to, like, just, I have to, like, let no one know so that I don't have my reward taken. So you just get in this place where now you begin lying. Like, well, I already ate. Or you say something that's, like, true on a spiritual level. I had some bread earlier. <laughs> and, or you do what I do, which is you know that you're going to have lunch with them. So, or, like, that you have lunch every day and it would be weird not to. So you tell them, I'm going to run an errand. And then they invite themselves on your errand with you. This actually, when I was fasting one time in college, I was with a group of friends. We're just like, hey, we want to fast for this thing specifically and pray for it. So let's just do it together on this day. For, we'll do it like, you know, Wednesdays for a couple weeks in a row. And, and I was fasting and I was there with all my coworkers and we were all ready to have lunch. And I used to be like, there was a Walmart that shared the same parking lot. So I thought, perfect. Just tell them like, hey, I'm going over to Walmart, which was true. And I'm going to walk over there and just like walk the aisles or maybe I'll walk around it and just pray. And somebody was like, hey, awesome, I need something. Can I come along? And I was like, okay. And we get into Walmart, but like, I don't have anything to buy at Walmart. And they're staying with me the entire time. And I'm also very frugal, so I'm not going to buy anything that I wouldn't actually use on any level. So I'm sitting like looking like, what do I buy at Walmart? And I eventually find... A bottle of Southern Comfort, which is a, a whiskey. And when I was in college, one of my social beverages of choice was the SoCo and Dr. Pepper. And then a box of like those little candy fruit slices, like basically the jelly things that are like orange and lemon and lime and covered in sugar and everything. And that's it. <laughs> and we get to the register and they're like, this is what you had to miss lunch to get. Because <laughs> they had actually gotten something that you would miss lunch to get. And... Yeah, um, and I did not pray at all that lunch time. But I did enjoy both of those the next day after I broke the fast. And uh, either way, kind of a win, maybe. But not for the moment of fasting. It's not Jesus saying, no one can know you're fasting. It's, are you fasting in a way to be seen by others? Just preach that text. If that was what I felt like was really impactful for our community. We had just completed preaching this section of the text. And I could just say amen. In fact, I'm really kind of tempted to pray and walk off right here because I just bet two guys in my discipleship group that if I could preach under 38 minutes, they would get me dinner and like a steak St. Elmo's dinner or or like the equivalent thereof. So I just kind of want to like be like amen and then walk directly out. Like don't even stick around for the end of service go right to St. Elmo, get a table, and just wait. (laughs) But it would miss the idea that I think is so much more important, important for our culture, and that is, I don't think the number one issue that you walked in here when it comes to fasting was that you're fasting to be seen by other people. The number one issue is that nobody's fasting in here on a level of real, using it in a way to connect with God and experience his power and his presence. It was actually a survey that I heard from a church that I thought this really is just kind of typical of all churches. I'm guessing this is somewhat true of ours, give or take a percentage point. They surveyed their church and just asked, do you fast? And they had options. 45% selected never. 
which, you know, just under half, and it's not crazy. 30% said seldom, so 75% just not a part of life, really. 15% once a year, 8% a few times a year. And I don't know if I did the math right in here. Something makes me suspect maybe I haven't, but either way, no, I think that's right. We get down to 98%, basically, kind of a seldom if ever. And then 2% was once a week, which, if I'm honest, sounds a little high for the room, but within a relative range of, I'm guessing that's how 98% of us or more experience fasting by not experiencing it all. And I'm not here to shame up to 98% of us or beyond. I'm rather here to say, as I've really pressed into this and, and struggled with it myself, I just really started feeling like this invitation from God for us to say, hey, would you rethink this as a way to really connect deeply with who I am? And, and so much more than that. And I want to get into it. And so really, that's actually just what I want to do with the rest of my time. I, I want to just ask, like, what fasting is, why we don't do it. Actually, primarily might be a good question. Why we don't fast, what it is, why one would do it, and then maybe just apply that to us. So that's where I'd like to go. That's where I plan to go, unless someone physically restrains me, I guess, at this point. So uh, why don't we fast? I think it's because in our culture, we are owned by our flesh. And I can show it really easily if you just think about the magazine rack in uh, grocery stores. And most times this is where people talk about like it's all just like, you know, just images of bodies, typically women, and it's all about lust. And that's true. But it actually ignores the other most popular magazine on the rack, which is like a picture of a cheesecake or a plate from like a newer restaurant or like a flight of craft beers. Typically, this is like a city, like Indie Monthly, which Indie Monthly is pretty much just like, hey, here are our top restaurants for March. And we'll see you in April. And they pretty much just do it all over again. And apparently that's what sells is every single time it's going to be a zoom in on a bread pudding from someplace or a specific kind of IPA or people eating bread pudding and drinking an IPA. And those are the three covers you get in any monthly. And we have those. And interestingly enough, side by side with Cosmo and men's health, which are just people dressed to the bare minimum of cultural acceptability in a supermarket, and which actually probably not if you're, you're in the supermarket. You should not take that as the standard. Uh, but either way, uh, typically women that have like a size zero to two waist uh, and full body and every other feature, or men who have more abdominal muscles than I've ever seen on a human being before. And the interesting thing about these magazines is I actually think they represent two sides of the exact same coin. Because they represent the two desires of our hearts. And that is to, to feel good is on one side of it. Of like, just, 
I want to, and this is me, really, I, I, I want to experience life and, ex- and, and joy, and I want to experience the good things that are out there, and good food, and good drink, and, ex- and, and relationship, and, and, you know, getting done on a, on a weekend, and, and sitting back, and kicking feet up, and cracking open, and having just good times, working for the weekend, as some have called it. And then there's the other side that says, I'm willing to forego all of those things because I don't care about feeling good. I want to look good. And you get famously quoted Kate Moss, a supermodel, who said, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. But what really actually ends up happening for most of us, you either pick one or the other and are owned by it. I mean, that's where eating disorders come from. And that's a real thing in the room right now, and I'm not trying to shame you either. I just want to recognize it's here. And it's part of this. Because most of us, I don't know, I don't know about your metabolism. For me, the cheesecake and IPA and the abdominal muscles to a crazy place are like mutually exclusive for me. I can have one at the expense of the other. And so it's really a choice. And so most of us just like ping pong back and forth, get stuck and trapped in this place. I mean, we call it freedom. I'm free to choose. I'm free to experience. I'm free to consume. And and I would say that's true. But you're not free. And don't pretend like you're free. Because you're no different than any addict who can stop at any time they want But fasting kind of reveals that you can't. And and so, yeah, we just, we get stuck in between the two. And and let me emphasize here, these aren't bad things. In fact, these are good, God-created things that you might enjoy and worship God through. I mean, that's what C.S. Lewis gets at in the screw tape letters, which is, of his books, it's a fascinating kind of twist on what he does otherwise, because it's him writing as a fictional, as if he is a senior demon, and he's writing to a junior demon on how to tempt his person. And so just, you got to know that because all like the pronouns are switched. So if he's going to talk about the enemy, he's talking about God. And he says this, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. He made the pleasure. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. He's making clear what is true about Genesis 3, which is that, well, Genesis 1 through 2, actually, that God made all things that you might enjoy them, that he made an embodied world. He made people with bodies and made them to be fed and to drink and to enjoy and to worship. I mean, that's what Lewis writes again later in God in the Dock, where he says, like, the thing I'm, like, baffled by, by the church calendar is it has as many or more days of feasting than it does of fasting. If you're truly like a liturgical person, there's all these people that kind of like, I'm going to live liturgically like by the church and obey all the laws for one year. If you would do that, you would be feasting 
way more than you're fasting. You'd be accused a glutton before an aesthetic. The issue is of being owned by our flesh is, I think Paul gets at it in Galatians 5, and I want to read this for us. He says, but I say walk in the spirit, and you will gratify the desire, or, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Now hold on with me just a second, because this is where Christianity itself has made really bad doctrines, in air quotes, about material world being evil and wicked and us needing to escape it and get to the spiritual world where we escape from our bodies and this whole place is just going to be torched and burned anyway. So you need to escape the physical as much as you can to be holy so you don't eat so that you know, like as, much, as little as possible. So just as to like, you know, survive because to kill yourself through not eating would be worse. And you don't have sex uh, in the, even within the, uh, the good confines of a marriage because, again, that's just an earthly pleasure. It pleases the body, and it's to be put away with. Our goal is to escape the physical and get into the metaphysical someday. Horrible doctrine that has plagued the church and our world today. I mean, it's really been with us since the beginning of time. It just keeps changing names. Because... God says, no, I I made all things, and I made things good, and I made you with a body. I made you embodied. You are not a soul trapped in your body. You are a body. You are a soul. The Bible doesn't seem too interested in separating these things. The only point where you could argue that is it says, well, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your body, with all your spirit. And I don't think that's God being like, okay, so you've got to figure out how to get all those things and turn the dial up on all of them. He's just saying, love the God with everything you have, every part of you. And it's, it's not this escapism out of this place before it burns. It's the sense of, no, the only person who ever died and came back showed back up with his body. He didn't ditch that. And so... If that is true, and what we see is good, then what is fasting? And really quick, two things it's not. It's not abstaining. Abstaining is what most people do for Lent, and it's not bad. It's really good. Like, people will say, I am going to, they'll say fast, but what they mean is abstain. I'm going to abstain from social media or Netflix or I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to abstain from sleep. I talked with someone that was their, their Lenten abstention, their goal. It was just like, I'm going to get up 15 minutes earlier all throughout Lent just to, with the express purpose of praying or reading or ex- connecting to God in some way. All those things are awesome. Those are beautiful. Those are great ways to spend Lent. They're not fasting, and that's okay. It's just, I want you to recognize the difference between the two. Because fasting... When God talks about fasting in the Old Testament, in Leviticus and Numbers, twice in Leviticus, once in Numbers, he says the word that he uses for fasting is that Israel is commanded to afflict themselves. Now, this isn't like God. I mean, this is that crazy place of like, okay, now we just have to like whip ourselves for the sake of like being odd for God. But it's not God like saying like, no, I I need you to hurt yourself and therefore I need you to like cause physical pain to your stomach and growling and all those things. He's simply saying like, no, there is something to what you're going to do when you fast that is going to do different things than when you give up social media for 40 days. 
When I give up social media for 40 days, I mean, first of all, it's really easy because I've kind of given up for the last five years. But either way, um, I get on every once in a while and just accept requests. Okay, you can be my friend and watch nothing happen. And either way, when I give up technology, because I do indulge in that on some way, for the first couple days, it might feel like an affliction to my soul. Next couple days, it feels like the most joyful thing that I've ever done. Like, it becomes a thing where, like, when I get to Easter, I'm like, is this, is, do I want to stop abstaining? Because there are things that cloud out your affections for the holy, for God, for good things that need to, at times, for a season, be like, hey, these are good. God made these, and he made them to be enjoyed. But for a season, I'm going to just stop this. And that's a good thing. It doesn't do the same thing as fasting. When I don't eat food, which is universal throughout eons now. I mean, apparently is back at the time of Jesus and now something that brings out every demon in your soul and every little bit of idolatry and sense of the ugliness. I mean, there's a whole other C.S. Lewis quote when he says, like, if you want to know what's in your basement, don't flip on the light off and on and then trounce down the steps because everything that was there is going to hide. But if you want to know what's in your basement, flick on the light and jump down at the same time and see everything scurry away. And that's pretty much the act of fasting. Not all that it's meant to be, but it's a huge part of it. And there's just something that doesn't happen when I give up social media when I give up good things. Other thing that fasting is not, it is not dieting. It's interesting how Lent and Easter and spring break are almost all somewhat closely put together in a way that I see some people really pursue the Lord in a fast pre-spring break. And then during spring break, what I'm guessing is what happened is they just realized, hey, Easter is so important. I don't want to limit it to one day. I want to celebrate an entire week. I have this whole week to do so. I'm going to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. And then I'm not going to go back and just obey a date to a calendar. He is risen indeed, dang it. And post-spring break, fasts seem to all of a sudden get a little bit more sparse. It's not wrong to diet. It's not wrong to juice cleanse. It's not wrong to do whatever that can make you feel good for a season. All great stuff. Not fasting. Wasn't what Jesus was doing before he took on the, the devil in an embodiment. He wasn't just trying to get more cut because he was about ready to bring in the new heavens and new earth and he wanted to look good as he did it. And so it's not those things. Here, what it, here is what it is. Fasting is not eating food. And though most people will drink water because that is a much lesser time, at times people will also abstain or restrict drinking of water in order to, and this is the big thing, because that's the negative and that's where most people stop, in order to feast on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because everybody, every religion teaches fasting on some level. I mean, you get Buddhism, uh, Muslims, Hindus, even hedonists, even hedonists, which is like it just self-fulfillment. It's our culture. That is the religion of the day is hedonism. And, and even hedonists will fast. Some of them will say, I'm going to fast and treat my body aesthetically because when I re-engage, the indulgence will be sweeter. So everybody fasts, and they all do it for different reasons. I mean, you can fast for self-control, and that's a part of a Christian fast, though it's not the main purpose, and I'll, I'll make that plain in a second, to try to kill desire to escape the physical world, to show off, to manipulate God or the gods. 
to try to get them to see you and do what you're asking? All not the primary reason for why Christians fast. All not experiencing the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so why do Christians fast? A couple reasons. Uh, I think I have time for two. One is to weaken the flesh that you might strengthen the spirit. And when I say flesh, again, don't hear body. Because body and flesh are different in the scriptures. You have a body, and it is where the flesh fights its battles. But it meets the spirit in that body. And, and so what I'm saying is, your flesh, your fleshly desires are those things that want what you want and want it now and don't let anyone get in the way or you will crush them. It is what just wants more and more and more and thinks if it keeps getting more, eventually it will find total fulfillment, but never is fulfilled. And so it works out through bodily urges. It works out through all things. But to fast is to weaken it is to starve it out. I mean, that's actually, I didn't get to it later in the text. I I stopped reading. But that's what he's going to say. And and let me just finish this text when he says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. If you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. uh, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. For all of you with the sorcery and the orgies, you know who you are? Tone it down. (laughs) I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's saying that you have, your flesh, what it represents are your strongest, probably your strongest desires. But they are not your deepest desires. They're your strongest. You feel them raging against you. You, to push them back and you feel them bite back. But underneath them, at the deepest part of your soul, it's not to experience carnal desires. It's to experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Your strongest desires must be starved at some time so that you might experience your deepest desires. Because your fleshly strongest desires are just attempts for you to get your, get your deepest desires. You want to feel love, to feel peace. You want to feel joy. And so you go at it through satisfying the appetite of the flesh. And it hasn't worked. It will not work. And so, fasting can be an attempt not just to like get willpower. It's not just like, okay, can I strengthen my willpower? Can I just learn to like refuse food, which is a good thing, and just like get more control and mastery over my body? Not, again, that's a part of it. That's not a bad thing, and you will experience that. I mean, I, I, I hear all people, I mean, there, it, it does kill even sinful desires. Like you can put away good desires and sometimes kill sinful ones. I hear people all the time who struggle, guys that will struggle with pornography and lust. 
and they say, you know what, the one thing that's like, it's not a silver bullet, but it sure does take the strength out of it, just like pulling the sap out of it is to fast. Because the, hung- the more I starve my flesh, the more I, I just sinful desires start to look a little bit less attractive. And then I break the fast, I eat, and all of a sudden they're right back on me, but still. There's a season where I can, I can start to fight them. I can start to regain sanity. I can start to make decisions in a sane mind when I'm starving the flesh and therefore not controlled by the passion of pornography in that moment. I've seen guys who just be like, every lunch, I'm just going to, if I can, I'm skipping lunch because I tend to struggle so much less if I just weaken the flesh a little bit. And so th- those can be good things and that can be good, but if it's just about willpower, you will get worked over eventually. Temptation works you over eventually. Like, Again, there have been monks that spend their whole life like not eating except for every six months a little bit of crusty flour from bread. And they still talk about how they get rocked by temptations constantly. It's not about just beating temptations. It's about experiencing the power and presence of God, which will help you master temptations. They'll help you commune with the Spirit. They will help you experience your deepest desires, which are the things that were mentioned before. It's also a way just to pray. You don't fast in prayer to get God to manipulate him and twist his arm and say, hey, look, I'm willing to fast for it. Now will you give it to me? It's not what's going on. Prayer will change things that won't happen or will happen potentially if you do not pray for them. And fasting might even be a way that God might respond quicker or bigger or just in a general sense. But it's not because you manipulated and got him to do your will. It's because it's kind of God's MO to wait for you to be weak so that he might be sufficiently strong. I mean, last week we talked about Lazarus. He waits till Lazarus dies, then he shows us up and raises him again. Or you get David and Goliath. Who is the smallest person here? And give them the weakest instrument of, of battle. Or you can like press into just Jesus and before he takes on Satan, he fasts for 40 days. He gets as weak as he possibly could get because there's just a point in where scripture is, God's going to say, hey, that army, I want them to be half the size. No, a quarter of the size. I I want you to just walk around the walls with the band and I will take down the wall that nobody can get over because God wants to get you to a point where you are so weak that when he shows up, there will be no part of you that says, I finally did it, but you will finally say that God has worked and he has moved on my behalf. And I praise the Lord who has fought the battle, moved forward, answered my prayer, done what I cannot do. There's a church I heard about in South Korea this week that was trying to do this big event that they were told by the authorities, you can't do it. There's all the injunctions. There's all the reasons it's not going to work. Um, and they just shut it down. And if it were us, if it were like our event, like we would do a couple things. We'd be like, okay, we'd get a whiteboard. And we'd be like, okay, we can, it's, the weather's okay at this time of year, or it's, in theory we'll get better. We can do it outside. We can get a tent. Or we can do it at a bunch of people's houses. We can do like a smaller version. Or we can go over those people's heads. We can talk to whoever the authority of those people are and like argue this on our behalf. And we would figure it out, maybe. And what they did was they fasted 40 days. I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if they were eating at night or if it was literally just a 40-day fast. Upon completion of their fast, they re-engaged the authorities. Everything had been solved. They had their event. I mean, the elders at our church, sometimes I'm embarrassed. Like, we go on elder retreat, and we honestly eat more than we do on a regular day. Like, we go out, and it's like, we get together, we eat, and we pray, and we talk a lot. And we talk and we strategize. 
And I just think, like, man, I wonder what God might do in this coming year. If our next elder retreat, we take one day and we just say, hey, we're going to fast and we're going to pray. What might God, this is where this is really huge. Our stage of life that so many people in this room are in, and really I'd say everybody's in this stage of life, it's just you're experiencing it on different levels, of just hyper stress over all these decisions. Like, do I take this job or not? Do I look for something else? Do I move the city or do I stay and get rooted here? Do I buy this house? Do I marry this person? Do I not marry this person? Do I pursue singleness? Do I, I mean, the list of questions goes on and on. Everybody's like, what is God's will? I want to know God's will from my life. Have you fasted and sought the Lord? And he might answer, not because you finally twisted his arm, but because you have now weakened your flesh to the point that your spirit could finally hear him. Because he tends to speak in small, still voices. Not because he can't thunder the skies if he wants to, but because the most rapturous, powerful thing that might happen is you weaken your your flesh, strengthen your spirit and hear what he's been saying the entire time. I'm just thinking about land. I, I made a list of just, I, I, I didn't just make this list. I got this list. I think we were talking about this in our, our preaching team meeting. Just like, we're talking about like, what would be potential things you could fast for in, in prayer? Do pr- uh, big decisions, repentance, God's kingdom to come in this neighborhood, in the world, spiritual darkness, like it's just somebody living like, I just can't experience God right now. I, like, I feel like my desires are, like, are, are iced over and, and, and iced out. Changing a situation that, that we'd maybe be able to change ourselves, but wouldn't be able to do it in such a powerful way. Or in your discipleship groups, praying for someone who's been struggling with a sin or uh, a fear or a worry or an anxiety for so long, and you just say, hey, all of us are going to pray and fast for this. What would it look like? We're going to do an elder-led prayer on the 24th of this month. That's a Tuesday. Mark the calendar if you could. And, and when we do that, what would it be like if those who were able, and I get not everybody's able, pregnant moms, nursing moms, probably should rethink, if anything, a limited fast. If you have a, a, an eating disorder, it probably is not the first thing to do to enter into a fast. But maybe for you, don't just hide behind that. Just like use this season to press in to someone that you trust and, and seek why it is that you're hurting and seek healing, and then when you're ready. But for those of us on the 24th of this month that are able and ready, what would it look like if we just hadn't eaten that day by the time we get to elder-led prayer at 6.30? And we get after it from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. And then for those who want to continue and go on home and, and break their fast in the morning, they can. And those who want to like go out and break their fast together, could rejoice in the good things that God has made to reveal himself to us and talk about the experience of what it was. I mean, what would God do? I mean, we are talking and praying about racial reconciliation in our community, or we're talking about like, you know, what would it look like to own a building here or, or just see like our, our influence in the city maximized and how much have we prayed and fasted for it? So that's my plan on the 24th. If you'd like to join me, you can. There's two ways um, to experience the presence and power of God that are most pointed out in the scriptures. And one is fasting, and the other is feasting, and particularly the feast on the Lord's body and, and, and drinking his blood. That's what he says in John 6. He says, hey, if you want life, if you want the presence of God, 
then you're going to eat my flesh and you're going to drink my blood. People get really weirded out by it. But then it really harkens back to that point where he says like, hey, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood shed for you. And then he passes it around. And we as a church don't believe in that moment then when we come here in this moment, like it actually has become the body of Christ and actually has become in a physical realm, the blood of Christ. But in the spiritual realm, we absolutely believe that. We believe that the person who comes forward in faith is experiencing partaking in the body and the blood of Jesus. And Jesus says, if you eat them, they will give you life. So you can seek life by weakening the spirit or weakening the flesh. I keep getting that wrong. And strengthening the spirit. Or you can feast on what he says, hey, come and have life. It's not my way to just like, oh, I got to like connect fasting and communion at the end. It's very much so a biblical reality. It's why Jesus says, hey, my disciples aren't going to fast right now because the bridegroom is here and they are going to feast. And they're going to feast on me. And so that everyone who would come forward and take this meal, who takes it in faith, would receive life. If you don't have faith, glad you're here. It's bread and juice. And so you can feel free to sit and, and pray and contemplate what it might mean. There'll be room, uh, spaces around where people will be holding. We can tear off the bread, dip in the cup, gluten-free up here. I'll pray for us now. Father God, I pray for us to not put this word away in a place in our mind that says that would be nice, but I just really don't want to go there right now or just get busy and distracted with life and miss what you're inviting us to. And that is to experience you in a way that we have not before, in a way that we forego regularly, and to see you move in our city in a way that we could not, with all of our best strategy, all of our best resources, all of our best energy, we'll still just find ourselves a little bit short on cash and manpower. But you can do just about anything, and have said you would. And some things will only come through fasting and prayer. And I pray that that might be an invitation to us, not a command of we need to do this to receive your love. We have it in full. But an invitation to come just see what you might do, to follow you who thought, man, fasting should be a regular part of the way I'm experiencing God and was the most connected to God and lived the most compelling life. So Lord, let us feast on life right now and let us consider feasting on life in a much different way in whatever rhythm that might look. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.